So it's autumn, and the theme of change is very much in the air. We've been blessed with gorgeous weather for quite an extended period of time now, and it's, uh, it really is a delight uh, as this morning to go for a walk around Bolam Lake and see the beauty of the trees changing, the chestnut and the beech and the oak, or turning golden and reflecting in the lake and and that lovely fragrance in the air that is around in autumn. And one can reflect on the uh, pleasures of, or the the uh, agreeability that comes with change. And the recent issue of the Hilltop, which some of you will have received by now, certainly those of you that don't pick it up when you come here should have received it in the post. And in the uh, comment that I I wrote in there this, this month, I was reflecting on how we hold views about change and how our views very much determine how we meet change. I was suggesting that if we have a negative view of change and feel threatened by change, that when life circumstances force us to acknowledge it, then we don't cope so well. However, if we recognize that there's also definitely a positive aspect to this reality of change and adjust our view accordingly, we don't see, we don't automatically assume that change is a negative thing or a bad thing. Then that view means that when we encounter change, we're much better equipped, we're much more agile. We can accord with change without losing ourselves. So perhaps to consider a little bit this evening on the kind of views we have about change and how this either prepares us or limits us in our response to change. Certainly the the Buddha's encouragement over and over again was asking us to consider the law of change and over and over again pointing to the views that we hold and how how important it is to cultivate what he said, pure view or perfect view or right view, sammaditi, the first fact of the Eightfold Path. Uh, to call it right view um, has the difficulty of 
of um, positioning it against wrong view and we can then get into a effort to just try and be right which is already quite a, a big problem for us anyway so I prefer to refer to this right view as clear seeing or pure view or perfect view a view that is not characterized by clinging so the views that we have of change (coughs) if we don't have a fixed view about change then surely will we be better placed to accord with it when it comes it is possible to have a view that all change is, is bad and we should stick with the way things are or we, we whether it's a conscious or unconscious view of change being bad we, we, it's characterized by a certain sort of rigidity but it, the reason that people, some people hold to such a view is because they're, they're looking to feel good. It's not just without meaning that people cling to the view that change is threatening or bad. Certain disposition referred to as, as traditionalism or traditionalists sometimes hold a view that change is threatening and dangerous not necessarily I mean, one can still respect tradition without becoming rigid but that's the skill how to respect tradition how to respect structures without becoming rigid without clinging to them Well, surely this is only possible if we are really aware in the moment and can see for ourselves, experience for ourselves that we are responsible for this view and experience the consequences of the kind of view that we have. Uh, People could hear a subject like this and discuss about it argue for and against whatever I might say but it's meaningless if it's not coming from a personal appreciation of how it really is for them so in the formal meditation that we started off with I was encouraging the cultivation of of a direct appreciation of the reality, the here and now reality. If we have a sense of this, if we can see for ourselves how memories are, as I was saying, fleeting images Memories are memories, there's no question about it. And memories are powerful. 
we can all recall memories that will generate certain feelings within us unless we're autistic and don't feel anything we can all conjure up a memory that can have a strong feeling pleasurable I can think back earlier in the the summer this year we, we had a really pleasurable retreat here a whole week there was 25 of us or whatever it was sitting on retreat in this hall for a week and most of us knew each other and some of us had known each other for for uh, many many years 10, 15 even more years and just to be together lovely weather good companionship and, and shared interest in something and it was such a nice feeling it was a, the peak of summer and I can recall that and and have a really good feeling about that. Or I can recall something that makes me feel unhappy. Something somebody said or something I said that made me feel humiliated or sad or rejected, unappreciated and can feel bad about that disappointed or scared I can think of something that happened in the past and and feel still feel the fear that was generated by that experience but what's essential from perspective of reality or from a contemplative perspective that we know that that is not the same thing that image in our minds and the feelings we have are all entirely my business Entirely, I'm entirely responsible for that and that makes a difference that's where the strength can come from if we don't know that well then we can think that, that we're a victim to the things that happened in the past that happened and that didn't happen and, and we don't have access to the past we can't go back to the past we can't change the past as the Buddha said the past is gone the future is not yet come the past is dead the future is, is unborn. And those who establish themselves in the here and now awareness arrive at a realization of changelessness, was his teaching. And changelessness is another word of saying true security. And this realization of changelessness or true security is arrived at in the here and now. But we need to cultivate a sense of here and now reality not getting caught up in the past and memories knowing that the relative realities and the feelings that come are my feelings that actually I'm doing in association with this fleeting image and not really invest too much energy in the past and possibilities of the future not invest too much energy in those possibilities they're not here in any reality other than a fleeting image in the mind a lot of which we're conditioned to have anyway. So cultivating this here and now awareness and in this context, in this appreciation of this reality, we can investigate our relationship to change, our views to change and see how we, how we feel about it. Whether we feel threatened, whether we hold the view that it's, 
it's a bad thing or whether we we look forward to it, we really appreciate the possibility of change. And the point I was making in that newsletter article was that that if we have a positive view of change mm-hmm. and you know, we can we can see that there's infinite potential in every moment. If we can really allow ourselves to trust in this this true principle that everything changes, everything's uncertain. If we can really trust in this, then in each moment we can feel this tremendous possibility, tremendous energy in each moment. But if we're caught up in in, uh, views of the past and the future and and we're resistant to change. We don't want to know about change. We're not with the reality of change. We're not with this reality. We don't trust it. We don't believe in it. We deny it even. Then our experience of, of any given moment can be very, very limited. We can feel defined by the past, obstructed by the past, limited by the past, obstructed by our fantasies of the future. We're not obstructed by the past. We're not obstructed by the future. Because the past is dead. It's like you're walking under the trees and you can see these dead leaves. Now you know those dead leaves. Those dead leaves, they will never go back up onto the tree in the form that were there before. Those dead leaves are dead leaves. Okay, they'll rot and, and disintegrate and then can be nourishment and drawn back up into the tree and make the tree grow bigger. That's true but they will never just go back up there and be the leaves they were before. And so it is for all our past experiences. Everything we've experienced, the most wonderful, lovely, totally marvellous experience that we've had, and the most awful, hugely regrettable, unpleasant experiences we've had, are all dead leaves. And they will never go back up into the tree like they were. However, we can accept them as that which has been in a certain way. We can remember it and we can let them be what they are now, dead leaves, and they will then be absorbed back into the earth and back into reality and will be received in a new form. If we are with the present reality. So the view that we hold of change is really important and and uh, I would encourage a very trusting, respectful, interested view. I think this is what the Buddha was aiming at and, and so many references that are made to anicca, impermanence. Nietzsche is permanent, anicca. Anicca is impermanent, unstable. All these references the Buddha made to it, as I'm sure, were references aimed at encouraging us to be interested in the reality of change and, and learning to recognize it as a law, as a law that we can trust in. I remember quite a few years ago I, I went to visit a school in um, down south. I think it was a, a Roman Catholic church school. And um, they were well-behaved kids, but... They were, they were quite um, assertive and a and, um, little bit challenging, and, but, you know, as adolescents can be, and so that was all right. And, 
Anyway, I was giving a, a talk on, on change and impermanence, amongst other things, and, and uh, by way of trying to help these kids understand, I, I said, well, you know, it's obvious, isn't it, that everything changes. You know, the world is changing around us, our bodies are changing, it's looking, you guys are growing and changing, and there's nothing that's not changing, is there? And I said, can anybody, can anybody tell me anything that doesn't change? And then there's this kid halfway back in the hall, stuck his hand up in the air and said, oh, here we go, a little smart aleck. There's always going to be somebody. And he, I said, okay, what doesn't it change? He says, he says, the truth of change doesn't change. I said, oh, <laughs> that's the real thing. <laughs> He's got it. That's the real thing. I was, that stopped me in a very pleasant way. It's, that's great. The truth of change doesn't change. The law of change, the fact of change, that's why it's called Dhamma. That's why it's called reality. And that's why the Buddha taught it as a a source of security. Knowledge of this reality is a source of security. And we all do what we do so as to feel good about ourselves and about reality, about life. We think what we think, we make all these efforts that we make to try and secure ourselves and thinking that we're going to feel better. But how much of our effort really makes us feel better? So much of our effort actually is is uh, based on a, a view that we can somehow avoid the reality of change. And most simply, look at how much effort we put into making ourselves live forever. And we all know that we're going to die We've all seen dead people, I imagine, and certainly, if not directly, we've certainly seen it in, in some sort of media form. And it's happening all around us all the time, and other animals are dying, everything dies. But it's so difficult for us to really take this on board. We don't somehow feel that it's going to happen to us, and not to mention sickness. You know. Every year I go through this thing that I... You know, around this time of year, you know, feeling really healthy, had a, you know, got a bit of sun during the summer and got some exercise, spent some time outdoors and, you know, feeling really healthy and good about things and the winter's coming on and think, oh, I'm not going to get a cold this year. I just, I, I just don't feel that I can get a cold. But almost every year, almost every year, sometimes it does, but almost every year it happens and you know, one of these bugs going around gets in and, and wipes me out for a while and, and every time it wipes me out, it feels like it shouldn't have happened. And I wish it hadn't happened. But there's something in the mind that that um, tends to assume that it's not going to happen. Sickness, old age. Mm. I'm at the age now when I, you know, I can I can certainly I can still recall being young enough to think that somebody my age was totally ancient. You know, if you were over 50, you were really past it. You were really out of the loop completely. I can remember feeling that way. And here I am over 50, and I, I don't think I'm past it. It's getting better all the time, actually. I'm really looking forward to the next few years. I think they're going to be the best years. But that perception, when one's younger, that you, know, you get old, it's... It's just not going to happen to you. To old age, sickness and death. Again, like the teaching on impermanence, the Buddha really held these things up and saying, think about these things. When you see them, don't turn away from them, but open your eyes. 
open your eyes and see and look at how we feel about these things because the way we feel about these things reveals the underlying views we have about it like if you see old age is disgusting I, I can't help but think old age is sad I, I, can't, um, I can't really feel drawn or attracted to old age but I don't, uh, I don't find it disgusting I do find it sad but if we find old age disgusting or death deeply threatening some people won't talk about it it's, it's, it's just an absolute taboo subject well if that's the case then it reveals that there's a, there's a distinct view being held because it's going to happen for sure absolutely guaranteed one of the few things that's absolutely guaranteed is we're going to be older than we are now and we're going to die and if we can't open to that or we have, we, we're rejecting it then it's because we're holding a view on it and so the reason I'm mentioning this this evening is because these views are so important either Either our views accord with reality and we, we are flexible and agile and we can adjust when things come to us that are unexpected, agreeable or disagreeable, or also that when we encounter something really strange and something really different, and this is very important as well, if we hold a fixed view about reality, and particularly about the reality of change, if we hold a fixed view then when something contradicts our view, we feel threatened and we tend to react in rather uh, unfortunate ways. And so, hence the uh, whole thing with racial prejudice or any sort of prejudice. I was in Glasgow uh, yesterday in Edinburgh the day before and um, in Glasgow I, I remember I was uh, walking along the street going to visit somebody and the bunch of young guys go out and and um, in that particular unique Glaswegian way he says, oh look at that, blank, blank, blank Hare Krishna, blank, blank, blank and I'm not a blank, blank, blank Hare Krishna, blank, blank, blank I'm not, I'm nothing like one and actually I really, you know, I really that guy is probably, you know, somebody who's really worth thinking some kind thoughts about and I did spend some time thinking about some kind thoughts about him but he doesn't know that, he just thinks that I'm a blank, 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 Hare Krishna, blank, blank, blank. And why does he think that? Because he's unfamiliar with this reality, and because of a fixed view about how reality should be, he feels threatened, and says things which, from one perspective, are really pretty inappropriate, and certainly unfortunate. For his sake, and for mine, it would be much more fortunate, much lovelier, if we were able to appreciate each other in terms of reality and he knew that I spent all my life working to try and generate a sense of caring and kindness for him and everybody else and and um, and if we all dwelt on that then everybody would benefit that would be much nicer and more agreeable reality but his reality is one of uh, very limited possibilities because of what? because of a view about things that are different so when we encounter things that contradict our views, then instead of just 
believing in our reactions, which he clearly did, and uh, and then act out of our reactions with by way of body or speech or mental proliferation, various ways of acting out. Yeah. If we're interested, if we're interested in reality, interested in what's true, what's really true about feeling threatened? What's true about feeling threatened is we're holding on to something. Now I'm not saying that you know we should or shouldn't feel threatened about things. We all feel threatened because we we are all clinging in some ways. Now the Buddhist message is is not to just another way of shooting on ourselves and say you shouldn't have fixed views. One of the great things about the Buddhist message is it's so free of telling us how we should be, but what it what it's full of is suggestions of how we can direct our interested attention to come to see the causes, to come to see the actuality, to come to see the dynamic, the pattern, the happening of our experience. So then we feel threatened by something unfamiliar or some occurrence of change in circumstance, personal or situational or global. Then to feel our feeling, to feel how we feel, to feel our reaction, and not assume that because we're feeling challenged or threatened in some way that something's going wrong. We don't have to say something's going wrong. We can do. We can say something's going wrong, shouldn't be this way. They shouldn't have done this, and I shouldn't have been this way. I should have done that. George Bush, we know how George George W. should be and how he shouldn't be. And we know how the world should and shouldn't be. But saying how it should and shouldn't be is not necessarily going to change it. Of course, if we had never been educated in any way whatsoever and we didn't know how to think about such things, we, we perhaps wouldn't even know that we had a perspective on what's suitable and what's not suitable. But we all have a sense of what's suitable and what's not suitable and our task is how to not just get limited by the feelings we have when we're confronted with feelings of being threatened. Feeling threatened often can give people the sense of being powerless. Say, I can't change anything. Look at what's going on. I can't change anything. Well, actually, we can change things. And this is... And I'm not just talking about political things. There's certainly a way of changing things politically and social action. That's that's another question, certainly worth looking at. But right now we're considering the question of how we can change things in terms of the actual view we hold about life and our ability to stay sane in the midst of insanity. Because if we lose our sanity, if we lose our clarity because of our passionate reactions to unexpected change or that which is un- encountering that which is seriously unfamiliar, if we lose our sanity in such a situation, well that's because of our lack of preparedness. 
So this contemplation this evening is, is about preparing ourselves for encountering the unexpected. We can't know the future, and it may, it may, things may unfold in a, in a more beautiful way than we could possibly imagine. And if we're holding to fixed views about reality, even though things are unfolding in a, in a truly beautiful way, we're not going to really benefit from that. We may, may get caught into such a mode of negativity and, and negative expectation that, that when something lovely is happening, and some real positive growth and unfolding, and in, in, even in ourselves or in those around us or even in the bigger world or in our immediate communities some lovely things can be happening if we've become habituated to a negative relationship with change then even though something positive and lovely is happening we, we, we could miss it not to mention of course the possibility that things won't be more lovely that things will actually won't follow the the um, the lovely fantasies of the those who follow the those disciples of the Aquarian age who think everything's going to get bigger and better. And maybe things are not going to get better. And if we're holding to a fixed view and about change, about the unfamiliar, then when we encounter it, then we'll be even more limited in our ability to accord with it. And by limitation, what I'm talking about is that you're not just feeling threatened, but also feeling angry. Feeling afraid and anxious, yes, but also feeling <coughs> feeling angry. When we encounter something we hadn't expected, and it disturbs our sense of security, one... <coughs> Common and understandable reaction is just feeling resentful. Mm. I say it's understandable, but only to the degree that's unexpected. If we really look at it, well, then you know, getting angry about change or the unfamiliar, or a disagreeable situation, getting angry about it. What does it do if we get angry? The anger that means the energy we feel. Not feeling angry, that's all right. Feeling angry is one thing. But when we get angry, the anger goes up into our hearts, possesses our hearts, our hearts become inflamed, and then our minds become clouded. So that's what I mean by limited. If it's a disagreeable situation, a disagreeable degree of change, then or disagreeable type of unfamiliarity, then our reaction of anger <coughs> means that we lose our human-heartedness and we can't be with what's happening as an emotionally sane person. We can't consider with our minds. Our minds are just full of rage and things come out of our mouth that are highly regrettable and, and thoughts fill our head that are insane, literally don't accord with reality. We get paranoid and aggressive and we think that if we just go and hurt somebody anybody, including ourselves, just to go and hurt somebody. That's what happens when we're possessed with rage. We think that we believe that by hurting somebody, we'll feel better. <coughs> well, that's what I mean by insanity. Where the sane response is, when we, we encounter something unfamiliar, disagreeable, ugly, 
tragic, sad. We can feel angry, but we feel angry, we feel angry, we feel the anger. But we don't default to our assumed views and just say it shouldn't be this way and then get indignant and we're all familiar with righteous indignation. Sometimes it feels so good from a certain uninspected perspective. It feels so right. We feel really secure in our sense of being right to get indignant about something. But if we're really honest then We stop and, and, and reflect on it in cooler moments. Does it really help? Does it really help to get angry? Yeah. That's the task. To be that honest so that we know, yeah. not just what it feels like, you know, when we're possessed with desire and lust, then whatever it is that we ob- with the object of our lust and desire, it really, really looks attractive. There's no question about it. It really looks like if I have that, Definitely, I'll feel better. And we all had the experience of, of being fooled by that. Well, likewise with rage, with anger. It really, really feels like if I hurt somebody, I'm going to feel better. Either it's by way of body or speech or mind. If we cause some pain for somebody, myself included, then I'm going to feel better. But the task is to be so honest and so clear in ourselves we can check to see, is that really true? Is that really the case? And certainly in my experience, it is definitely not the case. That when, when we don't just feel what we feel, whether it's anger or desire, and the energy is pulled up into the heart and into our heads, then we lose perspective. And the result is always unfortunate. Always more suffering. Whereas if our fundamental views about reality accord with reality, they're not fixed views, not fixed positions. They're open-hearted views, clear-seeing, not views that we're clinging to, like the view about reality, like the view about impermanence or change. If they're not fixed views, then when an upthrust of passion comes to us, like anger, in response to some unfamiliar situation, we're there for it. Our minds are not full of assumptions about what this might mean, about somebody being wrong or somebody failing, me or anybody else, those who are supposedly responsible for me now or in the past. Or we don't believe in that perception. The perception might still be there. The feeling of wanting to blame is also quite an understandable perception, given our conditioning. But we will question it. And this is one of the wonderful things about trusting the law of change, impermanence, uncertainty. If we really take this to heart, and really take this in and contemplate it, then, then we, can, we can feel uncertain about things. We can feel absolutely uncertain about things. We can allow ourselves to tremble with uncertainty, shake with uncertainty, not knowing what to do being in a state of real doubt, but hold the tension. We can stay there with it. The, the energy doesn't come up and possess our hearts and possess our heads. 
I'm remembering a very um, vivid example in my early years as a monk, and it's a very mundane example, but I remember it as as being very powerful, and it was to do with trying to give up smoking. I, I really didn't want to smoke cigarettes. I knew it wasn't good for me, but a lot of monks in Thailand smoked cigarettes, and I lived in a monastery where the abbot was smoking cigarettes. He wasn't supposed to, because it was a branch monastery of Wat Bapong, and Ajahn Chah had said smoking wasn't allowed, and but this this abbot was a, a little bit of a radical, and and uh, he was smoking cigarettes, and it was so nice to be able to go out and hang out with the abbot and have a cigarette, just to sit down with the abbot and light up. It was a treat. I felt like one of the boys, and and yet I really didn't want to smoke. It was choking me, and I didn't help in any way whatsoever, physically or my meditation. And I really wanted to give it up. And, but I really wanted to be part of the crowd. I wanted to be part of the world. And I can remember one incident standing. I went back after evening chanting, went back to my kuti off in the woods, and I can still remember standing at the bottom of the stairs holding the handrail and thinking, should I go up and meditate or read something, or shall I go over to the abbot's kuti and light up and share a cigarette with him? And I was caught in a state of utter uncertainty and I couldn't let go. And and it was literally a trembling, a trembling of uncertainty, a trembling of not knowing. And it was one of the one of the most it sounds like a simple matter, but the passion of addiction to tobacco and the passion of wanting to be accepted in the crowd and but also uh, you know, a very strong feeling of wanting to not be hooked on these things and wanting to be able to be free from them and not dependent on them, came collided. Now, to be able to abide in that degree of uncertainty and to stand there and shake and not say, it shouldn't be this way, is very helpful. If we can learn to prepare ourselves to stand in this place or sit in the place of utter uncertainty and tremble and shake with uncertainty, but not come in with this, it shouldn't be this way. Then it's a sign that we've begun, I think, to address some of our fixed views, our fixed positions. So this evening, uh, my contemplation on change and uncertainty and insecurity, uh, I've mentioned these things because we do live in very much a, a changing world and and it is wise to prepare ourselves. It's autumn, it's obviously the time of change, and I'd like to encourage us all to to not just follow the assumptions we have about changing circumstances and to become interested in the way we relate to change. So thank you very much for your attention. <coughs>